Death, she must have been your will Up on beneath the reaper's veil This is Drifting Cloud Press and your host, Gabriel Thomas Stevens. And tonight we are going to be exploring how to get home uh, with Ellie Robbins. But first, timber, timber, trouble comes knocking. Oh Lord, I must have heard you knock me out of bed as the flames licked my head And my lungs filled up black In their tiny little shack It was real and I repent All those messages you sent Clear as day but in the night Oh I couldn't get it right Here is a church, and here is a steeple Open the doors, there are the people And all their little hearts at ease For another week's disease An eagle, eagle, towel and scream I never once left in between I was on the fence And I never wanted your two cents Down my throat, into the pit With my head upon the spit Oh Reverend, please, can I chew your ear? I've become what I most fear And I know there's no such thing as ghosts But I have seen the demon host Trouble comes knocking, timber to timbra, and it is not how to get home, which is along the A thirty, <laughs> but how to go home, mm-hmm. uh, which is part of Ellie's um, ongoing work, and uh, one of your it's your Substack name, is it? Is that mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, but Ellie, just beautiful to have you on. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. And um, yeah, as I always ask my guests. Um, what brought you here and, and the shape that you came in um, and, you know, what, what made you do the outrageous thing of taking an MA at Dartington on the edge of the world? Yeah, it does feel like the edge of the world. Um, <laughs> I mean, as I was saying before we started recording, it's um, I kind of feel like I could give a different answer to that question any day you asked me, but 
Um, the thing that feels most true most of the time is that I, um, I mean, I had spent all of my adult life deeply engaged with story and literature. I worked in publishing and I've been a fiction editor for a long time and a book coach. Um, during COVID, I, like many people, sort of my life fell apart in many ways. Um, I, I, you know, I had... I got divorced and I had been living abroad for more than a decade and left my life and was kind of plunged into the wilderness in my life in a way. And during that time, um, the work of Martin Shaw was tremendously helpful for me. Um, and I took the, his, the West Country School of Myths Long Immersion um, within a, started that within a couple of weeks of coming back to England um, in 2021 and realised that um, these stories were hitting differently than the stories I'd spent my life with. You know, I had been saved by stories many, many times. You know, Middlemarch had saved my life and Virginia Woolf had saved my life. But Th that was the closest I had come to dying in my soul and um, I needed a new depth of story and um, that was what I found in the myths that Martin was sharing. So I took the immersion, realised that I needed more, I needed to keep deepening into this study and um, the, the MA uh, in Poetics of Imagination was the way to do that. So were you aware of the stories when you were over in the States or how, how did you like come about Martin's work in the School of Myth? Um, it actually came about through a few different avenues, which I think is normally the sign that you've got to follow something, right? Um, right. Yeah. A friend of mine <coughs> um, in LA mentioned his work, and I also um, had been having a bit of an email correspondence with called Paul Kingsnorth. Um, I'd reviewed one of his books, and we'd had had a started a correspondence after that and he and he's he's the one that does dark mountain is that right he founded dark mountain he's no longer really involved i don't think yeah. but he and martin have worked together a lot um he's he's also a fiction writer and has written twelve thousand brilliant essays and now does a sub stack and um they're very on similar paths i think mm. okay so what, what what was it that um the stories of the West Country School of Myth, and was there was it something that it it was it spoke to that sense of home, or that it had a different root root system than? Yeah, uh, both, all of the above. I think um, the first piece of Martin's work that I came across was Courting the Wild Twin, um, which for those who haven't. Oh read or come into contact with that work is um the story of the lindworm and oh god what's a tatterhood um and it's which are two stories of um wild twins as it, it uh, um beings wild um dark kind of feral entities who are born with us everyone is born with a wild twin and then thrown out into the woods and it's the story they're the stories each their own different version with as these things go lots of crossovers it's the story of 
how you meet that wild twin when they come back because they will come back. Anything mm. that you send into the woods will come back. Um, and I think um, it. I needed to hear that very badly at the time that I heard it. And I think, I, I mean, this is not an original point, but it is nevertheless true that um, these stories are doing something... Um, I'd had a sort of, you know, a decade of therapy by that point. I'd been working very hard to become a normal person and like, heal all of the ways that I felt um, that things had been difficult. Um, and that had got us, you know, done a lot of good and got me a certain way. Hmm. But the, but these stories went into my bones in a way that therapy never did. Um and in and similarly, I mean, you know, I'd spent my ho my whole life just escaping into novels, diving headfirst into novels, and that had taught me really, I think, how to be a person in a lot of ways. Um, in as much as I know that, which probably is still not very much at all, um, <laughs> but um, again, once I found these stories, hmm. there was a sense that I was no longer reading stories to escape. I was reading stories to really encounter what was going on, but in a way that felt not just okay and safe, but necessary. Um, yeah, they, you know, they gave me a map to a moment of profound lostness. Mm, wow. There's, there's a lot to unpack. That. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, there's so the courting the wild twin is yeah that's that there's a lot of like f folklore in that and had had you been reading folklore before you came across um that sort of genre of work or were you reading a lot of fiction at the time before that i've i've always read a lot of fiction that's always been where i've sort of m that had always been where i'd made my home and naturally you encounter some folklore because it is the it's already sort of root network of all the stories that we have today yeah um but it had never really been my focus um and um so do you, did you feel that with fiction sometimes it was more that you could escape into the novel but <clears throat> with these stories you felt like it was more sort of transparent and more reflecting out on the world yeah, certainly find? sometimes reading a novel felt like an escape, and sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it felt like it was waking me up and shaking me awake. Um, but often it was an escape, um, and that was great. That kept me alive for mm. a lot of times when I didn't really know what else to do or where else to turn. Um, but it, the past that I found myself at when I found these stories was I needed something more than escape. Hmm. I needed medicine. What do, what do you think it is about stories that can speak to us so deeply and, and on such a personal level that um, something like, you know, you mentioned therapy or, um, yeah, what is, what is it about them that can, that just jumps out at us sometimes? Because mm -hmm. everyone, everyone who's sort of gone along that journey of, um, really getting into fiction and 
folklore and ha- has experienced at least once mm-hmm. that um, it's almost like it just becomes a, a, like one of your own memories, doesn't it? Yeah, that's how I experience I love that. it. That it's like it just stays with you, and it it's yeah. I don't know. It colors it colors how you sort of continue with your life. Yeah, absolutely. I I love that. That it's what did you say? It's one. It's feels like one of your own memories um yeah it feels almost inseparable it becomes a part of your identity doesn't it yeah and I think that the reason for that is that it is part of all of our identity it's um hum- to be human is to have evolved with and through stories that's hmm. that's you know what um separated us substantially from other humanoid species was the ability to access altered states of consciousness and from them um, uh, deduce and experience an other world and bring back stories of that other world as a guide to how to live in this material world and so stories have always been the ways that humans have um, not just not, I mean, this isn't a small thing, it's not a trifle, but, um, you know, it, they're the ways that we've passed in, down information that has given groups their identities and sense of belonging and community. Mm. And, <clears throat> and they've also kept us alive they've held the information that keeps us safe in this world and that just that you can't actually live in um fleshed reality without storying it um if you have a brain that functions like like a human brain i don't know what it is to live as another species but you can't you have to have some way of sorting the information and making meaning from it and um and I think that the reason that humanity or humans have um, come to be the dominant species on Earth um, is because of our facility for story. Yeah, definitely. And also it's just, you, you, you said that in many ways that story had led you to a deeper understanding of your own humanness even though yeah. that, that's an ongoing project yeah but um and I, I'm always struck by uh the people on Poetics of Imagination and such a diverse group of people but I think everyone who reads story or spends enough time delving into that sort of realm of thought there's there's just um a sympathy that is present you know mm-hmm. you have to be sympathetic to other beings you have to when you read a story, you, you have to understand, mm-hmm. you know, what, what is that character thinking? What's their intentions yeah. in relation to an, a network of other yeah. characters and voices? And I think that yeah. that's such a beautiful thing that's, that stories can give us that sometimes maybe therapy can't, which is so um, focused on the individual. Focused on the individual, absolutely. And also approaching the individual um through a sort of analytical cognitive lens even when it's quite a sort of emotive or like attachment based or whatever affectionate kind of therapy Mm -hmm. um it's still trying to understand cognitively what's been happening and 
yes, you leave with a different story, or that's the goal of therapy, right, is to leave with a different story about yourself and your life than you went in with. But it's usually a story that is assembled in a fairly... Um, uh, mechanical way um, and I think that the beauty of stories is that they whether that's a novel or a myth though it's more true for myth is that they um, pass all of the information that's available to the analytical mind they take it and they take it to somewhere else which is imagination which is a uniquely whole making healing realm mm -hmm. and they take it there and they allow that force that is imagination to do its work on it and that heals the material and so then you have something that's been made almost divine by dint of having passed through that that process yeah that's yeah that's that's yeah it makes a lot of sense because uh, hillman talks about that a lot um with like psychotherapy and sometimes you can be quite strong on uh, how therapy sort of transfixes uh, things in the individual as if it's like, it's all in here, it's all mm -hmm. in, in my mind, it's all in my heart. Mm -hmm. And that um, some confession is the thing that's required to create that movement outward. So it, it exists outside of us in mm -hmm. the same way that imagination does. Mm -hmm. um, but stories already, from what we're saying, it seems like already have that in us. Like there's that you're processing it internally but there's also this like, outward movement mm -hmm. and imagination that exists yeah um, sort of as its own body as, yeah absolutely uh, it's a place own. you can go there yeah it's a place yeah that's it that's it that's so fascinating to think of imagination as like a topographical place that's definitely how i experience it i don't know yeah. about you yeah definitely yeah. like walking through that's why i find um, I, I don't know if you ever have this experience, but when you read a, a book, like a paperback or a hardback, mm -hmm. in comparison to like a PDF or a, a Kindle, mm -hmm. it's like I, I never, I can't find my way in the landscape or I find mm -hmm. it a lot harder to understand where I am in the landscape because the landscape seems flat. Oh, interesting. So that like, I, 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 it's just like if I know where I am within the novel, you mean, sorry, so that I follow, yeah. you mean the landscape that's being conjured in the story that you're reading? Yeah, it's it's both. It's like, I almost feel that my my thumb is like thumbing through right. the landscape and that sort of mm. tactile nature of a paperback or a hardback yeah. allows me to sort of situate myself within yeah. the arc of the book. Yeah. But that also like has a impact on where I feel I am in the landscape of the actual imagine of the imagination. Interesting. Whereas it's not it's not to say that I don't experience um, that imaginal realm within. Um, uh, if I if I read a Kindle, for example, but I just find it harder to access because I don't have. There's not that small entry point. You know whether it just be the. Mm. my thumb well yeah <laughs> but it has to be it has to be there has to be some form of like tactile palpable absolutely because i think that the thing that i i mean i believe very deeply that the imagination is accessed through the senses and through the body and people often think i think a lot of people say that they and this breaks my heart when people say this and people say it all the time they don't have any imagination yeah and i think that what they mean when they say that is that they can't 
picture things in their mind's eye. Right. They don't have a visual imagination. But that's only one small part of imagination. And actually, for me anyway, when I go to that place that is imagination, it's more through my other senses and it's through allowing those senses to fuse synesthetically so that I'm, you know, tasting sounds and, mm. and you know, hearing <laughs> the things that I can, the, the tactile elements of the landscape. And from there you pass through the threshold to that other place and that's open to everyone like that is part of what it means to be human is the ability yeah you just need one contact point yeah at least one and so it makes sense to me that it's easier for you to for you to disappear into imagination when your senses are engaged whether it's you know even if it's just by holding a book and letting your thumb yeah and just feeling the weight of it yeah. and you know all that like it, it hasn't yeah it has a weight it has a texture it has a smell mm. i think that they're, they're, they're all things that are yeah portals in mm-hmm. um and I, I was kind of wondering how this all relates to how to go home but i feel that there's many things sort of shimmering on the horizon mm. <laughs> well to um, me that finding that place um mm the place of imagination and more I had kind of had a consciousness that it was there because I had been a writer you know for a long time um so I knew how to use my imagination but finding the um a, a more uh, comfortable and easeful way to go to that place and and being able to visit it regularly has been as much of a homecoming as literally returning to England after 11 years abroad. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, because I think um, as as we go on through life, we can kind of change the door of how we enter imagination mm-hmm. and just how we sort of revisit our family home or, you know, revisit an old landscape through imagination. It changes our mm-hmm. relationship to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's something that is 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 part of getting older or maturing, isn't it? Is that there's there's you, you sort of bring a softness to old memories that mm-hmm. may have potentially been the wild twin running to the forest. Totally, and you can't. I my experience anyway is that you can only access imagination through softness, um, and I also really believe that it's very difficult to access imagination when you're scared or in a kind of fearful state um i think that changes your body so that you can't do that that um Hmm. um you can't access or i can i can only speak for myself for me when i'm in a fearful state it changes my body it makes me inhabit it in a different way and i can't access the sort of um synesthetic sensory process that i need in order to cross that threshold which is terrible because that's exactly when i most need to be reminded of how big and good and and light filled and life filled the world is which is what happens when you go to imagination Mm, but in those moments i'm stuck i'm it's it's you know trauma is a stuckness and imagination is a movement and i don't think that they can coexist so you know saying that with age comes a softness about you know for instance revisiting the family home and being able to use your imagination there I think that's definitely true and I think that um it is often not 
just age, right, but certain experiences that um, help you to um, be able to live with and move beyond the stuff that's keeping you stuck. And I think that, that in that way, sometimes actually, even though you can't access imagination while you're in fear or trauma or mm. like sometimes those moments can end up being a portal anyway because by by realizing that that you have to tend that when 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 in the story of the lindworm when the when the wild twin comes back when the lindworm comes back from the forest this sort of dark feral being who's been exiled um you don't you don't beat them you don't send them away you have to bathe them you have to be gentle to them and that's what you do with your traumas and your fears as well right you're gentle to them and and in that softening quality sometimes the hardest things in our lives can end up being the portals to imagination that's my experience anyway yeah no definitely i mean i'm i've never i was trying to think whilst you were talking if i've ever been able to read a book like in when i've been in a state of like I, you have you, it's sort of like a prerequisite, isn't it, of reading? Is that you have to be in a calm state of mind in order to absorb the information. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what that also goes back to the the format that we have at the moment of a book coming from a tree. You know, it's sort of like condensed stillness, isn't it? Mm. Um, and you're sort of partaking in that when you read. Oh, that's so interesting. So, can I? Can I turn it around? Can I ask you some questions? Because um, yeah. <laughs> I'm interested. It sounds a little bit... I'm not sure what your um, experience with stories was before you came to the course and whether you did have a big um, uh, history with the, the written word or whether you've come at this more from the oral tradition. Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I guess from the oral tradition although saying that sounds far more verbose than (laughs) (laughs) you were a homeric bard (laughs) (laughs) i think it i think it just began with um like my my granddad's really good at telling stories Mm. and my dad is also really good at telling like um stories so when as i grew up as a kid Mm. you know i'd always be told bedtime stories um and both my granddad and my uh, my dad are, have a, a knack for being able to create stories, you know, f- on the fly. Mm. So it would never be the same story. And it would always be like different ver- variations, or, although I had my like favorite ones that I'd like to hear. Um, but I think that was my introduction really, is just being told. And then obviously sort of like Arthur, um, the sort of Green Knight and all those... Um, um, yeah, the those stories that I later learned are from the Mabinogion, but mm-hmm. um, that sort of canon of literature, basically. Mm. That's how I was introduced. Mm. Wow. Um, and then I guess like reading and writing didn't come until later. I think with like Roald Dahl and stuff like that when I was like <laughs> twelve or something. Classic. Yeah, yeah. Roald Dahl was probably the first like book that I read. Yeah. Like cover to cover. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of. Um mythic inflection in Roald Dahl isn't there yeah definitely yeah. He, he's he's a great writer actually yeah. um but yeah that's I think that's so actually yeah I think stories have always been intrinsically linked for me with um a sense of home mm. and 
that sense of, um, yeah, imagination is somewhere that you can dwell in and learn from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think... Um, what, about, what about you? I mean, can, yeah, I, can I flip the question on you? The, what, what, my yeah, how did you sort of come about to... To you know, re- like you know writing all this uh, to to stories in the first place. Yeah, was it were, were you uh, bathed in the oral tradition? <laughs> <laughs> um, I well, I mean, I was desperate to read from you know my mum told stories of while she was cooking me sort of standing in the kitchen and reading out all the letters on the spice jars and making her tell me what they said because I was so desperate to read before I could read really that's fascinating yeah I love that 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 could be thought of a story well I mean that was I needed to well I guess yeah Yeah. but I just I meant I guess I meant in the more prosaic way I needed to be able to read so that I could I knew that there was something in books that I needed and I would you had that feeling you had absolutely like from really young you yeah I had little Sylvanian families dolls in a little dollhouse and I would make little tiny books for them before I could read before I could write just like (laughs) little bits of paper folded up with scribble on it because I just was like that that's magic something's there I need it um (laughs) and then as soon as I could read I would read myself to sleep every night like Mm. to the point of um for years I would fall asleep with the light on um because I'd been reading and my parents would have to come in and turn the light off and that was partly um uh just the love of of stories and the places they could take me to and partly terror of my own mind um really just could not be alone with my thoughts wow because it's just it it's taken me quite a long time to get to a place where um that um is not a um an immediate losing battle (laughs) Mm. that's really fascinating well, and, and I guess stories are, are they, they're thoughts that exist outside of us, aren't they? And they can be accessed. Yeah. And it's, um, you can lose yourself. That was, I think this is the theme, I guess, of my early immersion in reading was I need to lose, I need to not be in this mind for a little while, which makes sounds more dramatic than it really was, but it, you know, I need to enter other worlds and I need to enter other experiences Mm. um because I guess I've just always made living quite a difficult thing (laughs) um (laughs) maybe living is a difficult thing uh, yes I think I might have made it more difficult than it needs to be um (laughs) and books were my you know my way out of that until I discovered alcohol, but that's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just it's just kind of going back to whether you know, because we all are born into an oral world, aren't we? Yeah. And that that's like so fascinating that you had that desire just to read, or like yeah. you knew that there was something yeah. there for you. Yeah. Because I I remember that there was. Um, in in Ecuador, there was like. Um, uh, these books, they they were on the fireplace. I remember them really well, and um, where I like spent a lot of my childhood, they they had like leather, huge leather backs to them, mm. and I couldn't I couldn't read um, mm. at that time. I couldn't read Spanish, and apparently they were just 
later I found out that they were just like newspaper cuttings, but like, um, yeah, sort of, sort of like a, like almost history books, but I didn't know that. And so they were sort of very mundane on the inside, but they were like bound in leather and had this mystery to them. Wow. And so my dad would always tell me that these were spells. And so that like, uh, you know, a mortal person, when you looked on it, all they saw was newspaper cuttings. But the truth was it that they had like spells and Merlin's magic were in them. Wow, um, I love that. So I, I was kind of always grew up thinking like, wow, like <laughs> I, I had the same experience of like, wow, this this must be something that's like there's there's something here for me that I have to like learn. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I definitely, I definitely didn't didn't have that experience of um, feeling like there was I don't know I I I didn't have that quite same experience of like really wanting to read. Mm. like it took me quite a while mm. like I think yeah I don't know if 13 is quite older to read I don't know but um yeah and then I kind of got lost in it but I think I was maybe like a bit more cautious of getting lost oh interesting yeah mm. well and also if you grew up bilingual or at least in a in a country where the language the everyday language was not your the language that was spoken in your home. That um, must have been hugely mind expanding, and also meant that you were absorbing a whole lot of information in the real world. That you know there wasn't as much, uh, there might not have been as much space or 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 pull for other things. Yeah, that's an, yeah, that's true. Because uh, yeah, I mean, my for my my technically my mother tongue. Is mm. Spanish, but I don't speak it anymore. Wow. So it's like this, yeah, this whole sort of uh, eddy of language that I can't access anymore. Mm. Um, I bet it would come back without too much difficulty. Yeah, people say that, but I, I mean, yeah, it's just interesting that I haven't, I still, I mean, that's part of my myth that I sp spoke, spoke Spanish. I, even when I came to the UK, I could speak better um, Spanish than I could English. Wow. And obviously that reversed over time because I kind of refused to speak Spanish because mm -hmm. no one else was speaking it. Yeah. Um, so that like over time, I just like kind of let go of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that that's that's some something there that's uh, intrinsically that's linked. That's your to own how to go home. Going home, yeah, yeah, that's it. And and I think w w one one thing that when we were talking about this show that we spoke on and touched upon that I thought was really fascinating was. Um, how different structures of going home mm. and the stories we tell ourselves mm. or are told can can be changed or that there are alternatives that exist. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like maybe this is a good time to have a break and yeah. listen to one of the songs that you uh, that you sent in. Yeah, I can't remember what I sent you. Um, just leave everyone on a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> um, so up next... We have May You Never.
John Martin, uh, May You Never. And um, yeah, before we um, began that song, we were discussing um, the idea of structure and how um, how so many w- there's so many ways to live out a life, isn't there? And in turn, there's so many ways to um, live out the structure, uh, different structures of story. And yeah, I, I just I'm I'm intrigued as to because I know you you do a lot of um, uh, you're, you're you're a writing coach, mm-hmm. and one of the things that y- you coach people in is uh, structuring of story. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so one of the things um, that I spend a lot of time thinking about both for my own writing and for my life and also um, with the clients that I work with um, who are writing novels particularly but also non-fiction um, is um, whether a story needs to follow that you know what what you might think of as that sort of traditional arc of like rising action and then some sort of um moment of climax and then resolution 
whether that is necessary in order for a story to feel satisfying. Mm. Um, and I think I've thought about this so much because I um, want to live and I want to live in a world um, that is much more profuse and less individualist and um, more pol polyphonic and um, alive than that um, hero's arc. Um, and yet the way I have lived and seem to story my own life kind of follows the arc unfortunately um <laughs> and and I you know w when I work with clients it's um a lot of people come along wanting to write something more experimental or you know in line with what Ursula Le Guin would call the carrier bag theory of fiction so connective and um um and that explores connections rather than one person's trajectory um, and yet I've found, and you know, on the mercenary side, um, if they want to sell their book for a decent amount of money, typically there has to be some concession to more traditional or conventional story, story, um, shapes, um, which is the most boring way to think about it. But also just in terms of making something engaging, I've, I've found that it's normally, there's a dance between the two. You can't have, I don't think you can have all carrier bag theory of fiction. And Ursula Le Guin never has all carrier bag theory of fiction. Like The mm. Wizard of Earthsea is the most perfect, um, art, you know, rising action arc that has ever been written possibly. It's, it's mm. beat for beat. So, yeah. Yeah, that's in, that's interesting. So how how does that? I, I mean, what I'm getting from what you're saying is that, in some way, you have to learn the arc in order to mm. follow through with the the polyphony and the one the the storyline that trails off into. Yeah. But yeah. how does that how does that relate to you? Um, just life and and this this journey that we we all have of somehow a return to home or mm. well I think that it's um on the most literal level of returning home this return home that I have been engaged in over the last couple of years um has been least successful when I have separated myself and um, isolated myself and seen my life through um, a very individualist lens um, and most successful when I, when I have um, been able to get a bit free of the bondage of self and... Um, and be locate myself more in my relationships with others than in my own trajectory. Um, but I, it's still, you know, it's always a balance. You can't ever completely escape the self. I don't think mm. we get we're getting into 
very uh, uh, dodgy territory in terms of uh, theology and <laughs> Eastern optics now. So I'll I'll, re- re- I'll retreat. But yeah. All right. I didn't know the danger, <laughs> danger ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, that's really fascinating. Uh, I I totally understand that because. Um, being a writer, it's so easy to focus or become on that or feel like you're walking that individual path. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just, uh, yeah, it's really refreshing to hear you say that when you've made decisions in relation mm-hmm. to other relations mm-hmm. and, and other people, um, that that's been the most fruitful or like abundant times. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... I. I don't really know where, like, I'm so fascinated by that idea as well of, like, that the arc plays out for us all, that mm-hmm. that sort of monomyth that we've spoke about, mm. like, in when we were going up to Oxford. Um, but then also that it seems to happen on, on multiple occasions, on multiple times, mm. um, and it never plays out quite the same way. Mm-hmm. And I was and I was thinking I hate to bring up Campbell. <laughs> but, but I told you not to. <laughs> uh, that's why I have to bring him up. Um, <laughs> but I was just thinking, and, I, and we do not have to go into his work. Um, but that it's always it's easy to forget that the man that created the monomyth named the story of a hero with a thousand faces. Mm-hmm. So there's already plurality within a mono in, uh, within a monomyth. Or looking at it the other way, it's homogenizing a thousand faces to have one heroic journey. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we shouldn't talk about Campbell. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's that is an interesting spin on it for sure. Um, but just to take it away from Campbell, because I know he's such a divisive being, and also that could take away the whole extra segment of this radio <laughs> between us um, we'll just get into an argument is what you're saying <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want to listen to that you have to you have to uh, tune in off air paid subscribers only <laughs> <laughs> yeah um <laughs> but um i don't know I, i'm just i'm 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 really fascinated by the fact that you said that you know begrudgingly or not that your life has followed that pattern um and I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there are always multiple ways to tell any story, right? Um, and um, I think that um, probably the, I'll own that, you know, um, there's probably some lingering narcissistic part of me that has looked at it through looked at my story through a very individualist lens and pulled out that strand I think that um it's easy to do especially in a culture that is sort of founded on those stories Mm. um and um, perhaps there are other ways I think where I'm at at the moment is um realizing how much even that arc um 
that has felt so much like mine and the story of my life and my self-actualization or whatever is actually a story that was set in motion long before I was born. Um, and mm. there are stories of my ancestors and the places that that are my ancestors um, that I think have had more bearing on my um, life course than my own decision making. I think mm. everything I've done has been guided by something bigger and prior to me. Um, so maybe that's a way to think beyond the individualism. Um, she said, becoming incredibly conscious of how long she's been talking about herself and her own life for. <laughs> well, no, I, I think is I, I think um, individualism is also a really fascinating and not to be thrown to the wayside because you know we, every one of us has um, a unique and completely unusual life journey mm -hmm. it's almost incomparable mm -hmm. um and i think that, that that there's something to be said for that um and yeah i think there's there's a great sense of like loneliness in that feeling mm -hmm. isn't there that in some ways you can never really truly know someone else um <clears throat> and you're all sort of journeying um, and you, the experience of that journey is unfathomably different. But yet, at the same time, there's always this, um, there's always these touch points. Mm -hmm. And I think I think both like, both have to exist. And I, I sometimes think that the, you know, because we are in a time of like hyper individualism, mm -hmm. that the individual sometimes gets a hard time as well as the um as the group i don't know um yeah and the that for me that that loneliness of existence that you were talking about um that's one of the main reasons we have story right because story is the only thing that can bridge the distance it's you know it's it's the connective tissue between people mm. um and it's the only it's the only way you can ever communicate to someone else or what your what your experience is or or join with someone else through a third thing that you can both experience probably differently but it's still a shared experience yeah and there's also something i'm aware that because i like my background and um perennial fascination has been fiction and story I often talk exclusively about that and and don't really talk about poetry which is also a big aspect of the course of study that we've been engaged in and of this um uh attempt to understand um wording the expression of um the experience of being human in a living world in words it's, poetry is e you know an equal and equally um uh fundamental part of that and 
I think that if we're talking about this, the connection between people and how you bridge that and story is one one of those ways because it can mm. it, it can knit people together through expressing shared experiences but the thing that I find so beautiful about um, poetry is that it actually seems to me to be an attempt to um, abolish that gap between to annihilate oh. the space between people because yeah it's interesting. a way to people it seems to me and I don't I don't write poetry um but from hearing our brilliant teacher Alice Oswald speak and um other poets and 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 reading poetry it seems to me that what people are engaged in is um an effort to translate the world directly as as fully and clearly and directly as possible so that it's not words that um, hmm. uh, correspond to or reflect something experienced or lived. It is the thing itself and you have to find the exact right phrase and, and movement within the phrase and um, I guess Alice would say grammar to so that the words are not representing the thing but they are the thing and then you that can annihilate the distance between people because they can both connect through this thing that they can understand in precisely the same way because it is the thing itself does that yeah definitely it's, al it's almost like consciousness is continuous there's a continuity yeah with with, with it, that yeah it seems to me as though that's the kind of the the impulse anyway and and that great poetry that's what it what it can do mm, yeah definitely and i think um poetry as well as the individual if it's done correctly instead of being mine or a sense of identity it become you become a conduit mm -hmm. for what's passing through mm -hmm. and so then you sort of gain a transparency mm -hmm. that allows yeah what you what you it's, it's almost like a fluid fluidity isn't it mm -hmm. It's really fascinating because talking about like thoughts and, you know, our own minds and then how a book is sort of exists in this other sort of it's a, this middle realm. Um, today, I was just have you ever had the experience of if you're like climbing, if you've ever gone out walking and you're sort of at the bottom of something and you're heading up and your thoughts are just like just negative mm. and then you descend yes. <laughs> You descend and they, they, they're just of completely different nature. Yeah. And when I'm gardening, sometimes I find that it's like if I'm like weeding, which is like pulling out or feel, I feel like I'm doing something destructive or I'm just doing something kind of mindless. Mm. I can feel my thoughts easily spin kind mm. of a negative web. But like if I'm like watering, for example, I never, I never have a bad thought when I'm watering. Wow. And that, and, that, and that that I think speaks to how the consciousness or, or our own thoughts, our perceived thoughts as our own may just be other things talking to us. Mm. Um, and I can't remember his, the guy who said it, but it's that because I, I actually mentioned it on my last radio show with Gabriella, um, how sometimes I feel like there's, you know, there's just too many voices going on 
and and Gabriella Cruz was kind of like, well, that you know, that speaks to the polyphony mm. of you know that of the world, mm-hmm. and that's actually never not not a bad thing. And to think of a a thought that's maybe sort of trying to ask for your attention, maybe a, a grandmother trying to speak to you. Or do you mean there are too many thoughts inside you? Yeah, when you're yeah. just you know when you're like, for example, when you're like you 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 put your head head on the pillow and yeah, you just can't turn the tap off of of just thinking. Yes, I've told you um, why why I became an obsessive <laughs> reader. I'm very. But familiar. we all share that. Too, yeah, you know, totally. we all share that, right? Totally. And like, I have that as well. You know, moments in the day, and just to change that and and to retell the story that it's. Um, a thought that's coming from a plant or it's a yeah. thought that's com- coming from um, an ancestor, ancestor or it's a thought that's just coming in the atmosphere. Yeah. Just completely changes that um, relationship to it. Yeah, if you can make it the thought instead of my thought. that can. Yeah, that's it. I've, and I've, I found that very helpful just in my life in general. Yeah. Um, when something like kind of goes bad and it's yeah. like, well, actually, before I would have, hundred percent taking that on as myself yeah but now that i have more than there's multiple personalities reacting in different situations and everything's mm-hmm. contextual yeah um it's not to say that i don't take things personally but <laughs> i i definitely definitely allows you to play in in a field that's more open and your work as a gardener must contribute to that because you are engaged all day in tending the um the truth of life which is that everything exists in relationship and that lives are intertwined and Mm. how so that can't not be altering your internal landscape yeah i think the interesting thing about gardening is tending the truth of life is that what you said that sounds quite (laughs) 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 didn't realize i was working in the garden of eden No, I mean the the the, the nature. Yeah, of but no, existence. I I, I definitely didn't make hear it that. sound any less pretentious, did it? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think one thing I I found find fascinating is how deep that patterning, because you're you're just around, surrounded by so much pattern, mm. um, all the time, and that can't you can't help but allow that to have an imprint on you, mm. um, and so yeah, there's just. It's almost a, the similar sensitivity that you arrive at when you read a book and you've been sort of like really touched yeah. by a passage. Someone trying to speak to you through yeah. ink on a page. Yeah. And it's, 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 there's a similar translation that goes on. Yeah. With, um, yeah, spending time like with, without any distractions, really. Um, and again, it, it's a tactile, sensory thing that you're engaged in so in that way it's inching you closer to imagination much like the ink on the page yeah and it's it's just like i actually felt it today it was like it's so the stark contrast between my thoughts when i weed in comparison to the thoughts when i water Mm. are so different so markedly different how could they be mine Mm. how could they be mine that's that's what i i felt wow um I love that. I guess I'd better start doing some gardening. Yeah, get out there. I think anything, I mean, it doesn't have to be gardening, but anything that is like, where you, there's just no distraction almost. It's quite something, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, Did you, 
we had you previously done gar- because obviously our teacher Alice Oswald is um, a gardener as well as a poet and I'm curious whether you were already a gardener or whether you were inspired by her um, example in how natural a pairing that is interesting no it's actually um I had no real like inclination for it until and, and some, somehow this ties into um home and uh the return journey that's also an outward journey because when I I felt like I didn't really understand like why I was from the UK I don't know I just mm. never felt like I was really from here or like that there was just like a sense of like alienation that I felt and I had to leave in order to come back and then feel mm-hmm. a sense of like oh I actually really miss you know there's something about being away and then really missing your home yeah that makes you change it just changes you you can't yeah and I, I needed that and and I got I think I, I had that when I went to Japan and that's when I, um, it was it was a really weird experience of like going somewhere and just feeling like I'm at home here mm-hmm. or that the culture just felt very familiar, mm-hmm. although deeply strange. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you if you can resonate with this, but the, I think the strangest things is when it feels, when it should be familiar, but you yes. feel estranged to it. That's yes, the most that's disconcerting. that's very lonely, yeah. But anyway, um yeah, like I, I worked on a tomato farm uh, in Japan and I just found that my writing routine was like massively um, impacted by it. Like just I'd work for half a day and I'd write for half a day. Mm. Um, and there was something in that routine that I, I did that just was like, oh, there's something here for me, but I hadn't really worked it mm. out. And a lot of the work I was just doing was very mechanical. You know, mm. there was... I mean, there, there was just like football fields of tomatoes mm. um, and you'd just be pl- plucking away at them. <laughs> but you'd come back and your your fingers would be encrusted with green. Wow. You know, it was like you were wearing gloves. They must have smelled amazing. It did smell amazing, yeah. It was almost intoxicating. I was always hungry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I think that's some... when I realised that there, there was something there for me mm. that was um, nourishing, at least. And there's something about hands in the soil like how what what other what better way to go home than to get your hands in the soil if you're someone who always felt a little bit alienated from England and then you came back and were working literally working the land learning how it wants to grow mm. what it wants to grow you know who it is and how it speaks yeah. that's um that seems like a very deep level of homecoming that I I've not yet reached because sadly I'm still spending all day on my laptop for work. <laughs> I'm always impressed how you can do an MA and do the the coaching. I I scaled back. Um, but do you do you do you compartmentalize like how do you? Because it feels to me that you're doing it's like the sit you're you're working on the same strand, but you seem to have this endless uh, energy for it, which is really on the same strand. Admirable. How do you mean? Like as in as in, you know. Gardening and writing feel like two very different compartments. Right. Yeah. But like what you do, coaching and writing, yeah. feel a part of the same thread, if, if that's makes I'm sense. I'm a real one-trick pony, Gabriel. <laughs> that's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's commendable, honestly. Um, yeah. And I do, I, you know, I like the um, cross-pollination of 
um, working and studying and I like all of the different people that I get to speak to in my work and mm. um, that I think I've never I'm never less productive in my own writing or in studying than when I have just a yawning chasm of time to <laughs> myself you know that's yeah. that to me is not it's not it's not helpful is no. it no that's interesting so do you feel like working on other people's projects that that's quite relational and does that like um, and it must do it must inform your work yeah I have this strange thing where um the world seems to send me exactly the projects I need to be working with people on when I need so I'm getting I get so much from the work I do with clients you know it I've I learn so much from them hmm. um you know I feel like I'm getting degree after degree just from doing this you know intimate work with people in on their their projects that they've spent their whole lives incubating and um and yeah it, it just um always as if by magic is what I need to be thinking about hmm. when I need to be thinking about it so um I I think I would be mad to walk away from that when I'm being sent guidance like that yeah that's amazing that's amazing and do you do you feel that I imagine coaching allows you to sort of occupy that third person or you're not you're not so attached to their work that you can probably move more nimbly yeah is that is that true um I think it's really lovely to be deeply engaged in work that is not your own because you don't have to experience the critical voice or, you know, obviously I have a critical voice because I want to help them to achieve their own best work. But mm. the the biting um, lies of the inner critic, you know, mm. the, I, I, you don't have that when you're working with someone else in their work. And right. it's, um, you know, it's... Um, my favorite thing to do, actually, and this is another kind of homecoming, you know, we've been talking about the multiple dimensions of homecoming. And um, to me, at its core, homecoming is um, a um, just a deepening into the most beautiful and full truth of your own life and purpose in the world. And so my mm. favorite work to do with clients is um I often work with um like recovering academics um so people who um and this is partly because you know you work with someone and then you get referrals and partly because in this strange way that the world sends me what I need when I need it um so people who have spent their lives writing in a very detached cognitive way and feeling that they weren't allowed to be themselves on the page and they had to resist all of their squishy impulses and um, and be combative and um, analytically correct and prove every point that they had. Mm. And um, in the work that we do together, I'm when I work with that with that kind of writer, when they're working, you know, writing for a general audience, whether it's nonfiction or fiction. Um, 
just encouraging people to be themselves on the page and to when they're having a struggle with what they're writing to put that on the page and to be honest about what they're experiencing and have that be part of the writing and the way that that makes writing a home for people who have been completely alienated and switched off by Mm. writing because they've been made to do it in this machine kind of way um to allow people to I i feel quite emotional thinking about how beautiful it is to watch people um become fully themselves in on the page um yeah so that that I guess that's another level and um dimension of homecoming that I am engaged with I also at this point cannot remember the question you asked me because I got (laughs) so enthusiastic about (laughs) talking about this work it doesn't matter it doesn't matter at this point I, I, I was just taken away too I think um that's great I mean, you're kind of talking about like cognitive function Mm. can kind of, you know, do one. Yeah. (laughs) It's good that we forgot the question, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. Um, That's beautiful. I I, I really agree that that's that's such a gift to be able to experience and transmit and witness. Wow. It's very beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. (laughs) 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 There's nothing for me to say beyond that. Um, well, next up, we should be playing, or what shall we play? Almanac by The Acorn. Thank you. 
So yeah, we're we're kind of coming to the close here, but um, Ellie just touched upon such like a beautiful uh, acorn, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> That's wrapped wrapped it all up, and that um, yeah, home is. I mean, you you said it far better than I could, but um, home is sort of like a, um, a softness and, and bringing that you can that you can start to tell your own story mm. from. A place that's more embodied, yeah, and less cognitive. Definitely, yeah. Um, and yeah, so f- like academic fatigue is just it, it's, it's it's a thing, isn't it? Oh <laughs> it, yeah, it is a definitely, thing. Yeah. Um, but also just in life, like the way we like operate, and it doesn't have to be um, writing. I feel like everything that we've spoken about could be replaced by other mediums. You know. Yeah, um, we live in a world that wants to. Um, that has really forgotten that other way of doing things that is um, uh, more whole and mm. um, and I, you know it, it. I think it's really easy to sound like a pompous asshole when you talk about these things. So I just want to be clear that I have. I have to learn everything in my life the hard way. Like if there is a mistake to make in a given situation, I will absolutely make it. Um, And so I, my current coaching practice and my current writing practice, the way I approach writing and also the way I approach imagination and try to approach all my life comes from um, a, a period of doing things in a very different and very painful way. You know, when I was living abroad, I and I was working as an editor and you know writing and various other things um but I I wrote a novel and I literally wrote this novel in a cupboard there's not a, 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 a an image I you know I was living in a tiny flat in Los Angeles and there was no I did there was no space for me to have a room of my own so and I was working from home and I was working on this novel so I there was a closet windowless closet with a bare light bulb in it and I was like okay fine that's where I'll do my writing so I painted it and I put a sheet of Hmm. plywood in it as a desk and I would lock myself I would get up at sort of 5 36 every morning and lock myself in there for three or so hours before I went and did a full day's work just like cranking out sentences from this like 
um, very unhealthy, needing to prove myself, um, overthinking every sentence. And the book that I wrote was bad, obviously. It read mm. like a novel written in a cupboard. It was a book that was um, <laughs> caught up in itself and stagnant and tied in 10,000 knots. And um, now the the way that all of the things that I try and work on with my um, clients are things I've had to learn from realizing how, you know, it was five years of work that I had to put in a drawer and say goodbye to, um, which was heartbreaking. And um, part of my homecoming has been homecoming to a more embodied way of writing. So now when I write, um, I'm up, I'm still up at, you know, six in the morning, but I'm out sort of scurrying around undergrowth or like slipping around on the banks of the dart or you know I, I go and I, I I write my first draft is always recorded as a voice note because I can mm. speak just from my body um and it's not passing through my cognition it's my body reacting and and existing in relationship with what's around me so that's what that's what you mean by when you do embody writing these are some of the that's one of the things I do, yes, things. yeah, oh, and and also, you know, techniques to make sure that when you when you write, even when you d can't be outside, or when when you're at a stage of writing where you have to be editing on a page and you're not, you know, climbing trees, um, <laughs> is um, ways to still be in the soft fullness of your body instead of the the tinny metallic space of your head. Mm, definitely that's when you're the furthest away from home mm -hmm. yeah that is that is a very that is a place of exile that tinny metallic place that's the dark side of the moon wow and we spend so much time there yeah don't we yeah especially in the culture that we live in mm -hmm. yeah it's so it's so easy it's i think to not be at home or you know this to, to carry on this metaphor mm -hmm. of like return and home it's like Ah, oh, the amount of times I've spent up in the, uh, up in the attic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's so easy. It's so easy. It, it's funny to, it's almost like a writer that is embodied. It sounds like an oxymoron because mm -hmm. you're sat in a chair. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that idea of that you record and that you mm -hmm. are out in the, out in the dark in the fields. But, um, yeah, it's just so, it, it is such a fine line, isn't it, to you? be at home in your body at one point and then next thing you know you're in the static or the tin Wait, mm -hmm. that's such a beautiful way of talking about it um yeah so you have to be um and it's not about it's not a daily battle it's not a daily vigilance because that's all those are all um comparisons that come from the tinny metallic space that want everything to be wants everything to be a conflict right it's a it's a daily gentleness a daily opening that we have to engage in mm. do you ever get like fearful of uh, writing like, of writing the, the day, next day like do you ever have a dread or um yeah it yes um in fact i'm just coming out of a week of feeling very lost in my writing practice. I think I don't think that you ever really get 100% away from that. And I think if you did, you would start to get a little bit complacent. Um, and that's not, you know, I right. think um, I think that it's 
good to um it's i think it's good to hold on to some doubt and reaching because that's the thing that's going to keep you going closer and closer towards the truth you always want to be pushing for and searching for that bright white light of truth you know the thing that burns hot to touch and I don't think you can get there without some effort Mm. um and sometimes I when I dread writing it's because I know that there's something I'm not admitting to myself and or that there's some level of the story that is um eluding me and that probably the way that it's going to become clear will be slightly painful mm, um yeah that's fascinating yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can i can relate to that yeah and i, I just ah oh, the, the the fact of you know that each day should just be a gentleness that's yeah that's really beautiful and that yeah that we like we have to get lost in order to return absolutely and that home is a threshold that we seem to come yeah. across and lose a thousand times yeah and there'd be no story if it wasn't yeah uh well oh ellie rich that's very rich <laughs> um thank you for thank you for being on the show and i hope in some way we spoke about home in relation to structure writing and everything else that has been in this hour and hour and a half yeah absolutely thank you so much for having me and um and you you sent me some really great music recommendations, so I feel like it'd be rude not to finish on one. Is there? I have I have oh, a I few on my laptop. Can I can't you see that far? What I sent you? No, I can't. I'll let you choose. Um, I'll list a few that you gave. <laughs> How about um, that? There's Restacks by Bon Iver. Let's let's play Wildfire. that. That will be um, I think a good um, that will be in keeping with the tone of the other musical choices. Beautiful. So that's from the album For Emma, Forever Ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's up next. But yeah, thank you, Ellie, and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Good night. Thanks.
Could it be that has brought me to? 